Hello listeners, welcome to the Web Jam Report, episode 110. Hey, how you doing? What's up? Oh, I'm not gonna lie. I almost forgot about you guys today. What is it? Day 705 of my pandemic fun times quarantine. Only man alive, still quarantining. Yesterday they told us that the kids aren't going to get their vaccines until maybe April if we're lucky now. Woo! I'll just keep this up. Everybody's like, whatever, man, kids don't get sick. And I'm like, yeah, sure they do. You know, it's pretty interesting. It's like, I, you know, I, I understand where people are coming from. They can have different perspectives than me. Right. I, 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 and honestly, in a lot of ways, it doesn't really matter to me what decisions of the world makes because we don't fucking go anywhere. So if the world wants to open up, that's fine. The world can open up. But, uh, you know, you tell me that. COVID's not as, you know, just as likely for my kid as the flu or a car crash. And I'm like, yeah, you know what we do with the flu? We fucking vaccinate our kids. And you know what we do for cars? We, we put them in car seats. <laughs> so either way, right? Like, is it more likely that a kid gets the flu without the vaccine? Well, that just says to me that the vaccine is very important. Or is it that when flu kids have been vaccinated for the flu that they're just as likely to get it as kids that haven't been vaccinated for COVID? Well, then I definitely want my kid vaccinated because then I don't have to worry about it even as much as the flu. It seems very clear, you know? I don't know. It's a little weird. You make your own calculations. Uh, Emily Oster, who I've historically really uh, respected on this topic, was like, maybe it's time parents accepted that this is, you know gonna be the way it is and we should just move on and and i you know like i was reading all these comments from parents and i get where they're coming from they're like mike is in daycare and because of these quarantine rules i paid for a whole month of daycare and i got four days yeah that shit's bullshit and i think you know at this point if society wants to go fucking lord of the flies out there and have no quarantine rules for everyone i guess they're welcome to it and i'll just stay home I feel terrible about that, though, because I strongly suspect there are some people like me out there that aren't as rich as I am, and they want to stay home, and they want their kids to be safe, and, you know, they, they would prefer a zero-tolerance environment, which is a totally rational thing. Large components of our society operate on zero-tolerance, like our factories and our oil wells. You know, like not everything in society is, well, statistically, you're unlikely to get your hand cut off. No, at a factory is like 106 days since our last security incident, zero tolerance for unsafe behavior. That's rational in that environment. It is rational sometimes to be zero tolerance. And of course, none of this factors in long COVID. You get the, you get the flu, you get over it. You know what I mean? In a kid. Uh, I know, I know. It's incredibly unlikely that my kid will get COVID badly and have long COVID symptoms that are terrible that we don't know anything about yet. But uh, what I do know is if she gets it, it's because I did something I didn't really need to do because I don't really need to do shit outside of my house. So that's kind of a weird wrinkle in the calculations, right? If you really need to go out and do shit in your house, like you got to go out of your house to earn money to eat so your kid doesn't starve. Your kid gets COVID because you had to go out to get food. Well, I mean, that ain't your fucking fault, right? Like, you had to go out of your house, and, like, the world made it that way, and you were trying to provide and provide a safe world, and you had to play the, the risk game. But I don't have to do that. I don't have to leave my house to provide for my child. She is incredibly well balanced. She doesn't need anything outside of this house yet. She exhibits no desire for anything outside of this house yet. She is happy, and uh, I'm fine. So I guess I'm just going to stay home. I have been for a while suspecting this is going to be a giant clusterfuck. Uh, there have been some warning signs that the under five vaccine is going to be a giant problem. Wow, I did not think I was going to start this way today, but I'm just letting it all out. Uh, and there is a Hail Mary coming with the Moderna results that are due in March-ish, because everything about this wait till April is all about Pfizer. So Moderna might uh, pull up, you know, pull a come from behind victory and do a one and done 
works on kids shot, but I think we'd be hearing rumblings of that by now if that was going to happen. So yeah, it sucks. It sucks, but you know, I like my house. I like my life here. Uh, I I'm obviously a level comfortable with some measure of risk. Um, you know, it kind of irks me when they're like, well, I'm obviously fading now, so it's not as important that we vaccinate our kids because, I, I don't know, I guess they assume there's never going to be another variant, which is a really weird assumption to make after two and a half years of this shit, two years of this. Uh, I assume there's going to be another variant, but I also assume, like the last two times, there will be a window where there won't be another, where it's safe to travel a little bit, and I'm hoping in April or May... Uh, I can go to New York, I can go to Boston, I can go to Alaska. That would be nice. I could see my mom, maybe even bring Jane. Uh, probably not, though. Not without the vaccine, I think. I think that is a bridge too far still. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, like I said, I was barely going to do this. I almost didn't do this today because I made a vow that I was going to lay around and do nothing all day and only watch the Olympics all day. And I've been watching the Olympics all day. And it is 3.41 p.m. on Saturday. I had been doing these podcasts on Fridays, you know, but that's because I took every Friday off towards the end of last year, used up all my extra vacation time. This year, God willing, I plan on actually using my vacation time on vacation, so I'm not taking every Friday off of work. <laughs> so I can't do my podcasts on Fridays very easily, if at all. Uh, I also had a lot of work on Friday, and then I had some personal stuff I wanted to get done. Um, so I'm doing it today and then I wasn't going to do it today because I just wanted to watch the Olympics because I'm completely obsessed with the Winter Olympics. It's really weird. It ebbs and flows. Sometimes I don't care about them at all. I almost never care about the Summer Olympics, but sometimes I really care about the Winter Olympics and this is the second one in a row I've been really, really into. Uh, I just love it. I love the random sports that people don't care about. I guess, you know, people care about snowboarding, but I find the half pipe boring. I really like uh, slope style. I like the, 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 the racing. Uh, what do they call it? Cross something cross. Uh, cross X country. I think they might call it X country. I like that. I really like biathlon. I love curling. Curling is the best. Biathlon is really great. I like flat track, short track, speed skating. Uh, I like the ski jump. Uh, don't really care about skiing. Don't really care about ice skating. Uh, I like bobsled and luge and skeleton. I prefer women's sports to men's. Uh, I've been watching tons of it. It's been great. Uh, but I'm all caught up on the things I care about right now. So I had some time to kill. It's a lovely day outside. It's like almost 70 degrees and Emma and Jane are outside and they're like, you should really come outside. And, you know, I should be outside, but I also realized I hadn't done this podcast. So I figured I should do this podcast. I will cross my fingers that it is that nice out tomorrow. Maybe we'll do some gardening prep, which is a whole thing. Uh, I made the decision this year to not plant my seedlings immediately early like I have the last last year. Last year I counted exactly eight weeks out from last average frost date and I planted my seedlings and they just felt like they're in the garage too long. A lot of them just didn't like being in those little planters for that long, especially the cucumbers and stuff. Uh, this gardener I watch on YouTube, James Prigioni, says strongly believes that most plants which are better to just plant straight into the, the planters in the ground rather than do seedlings. I'm going to do my tomatoes. Uh, I'm going to do those. I, I guess I'm going to start all that next weekend, I think. Maybe the weekend after. But I just decided I didn't need to do it so soon. You know, I didn't get a little bit of a head start. You know what I mean? I'll do it in early March or something. But I got the hoop house here, the new hoop house. I need to see how big those are. I need to figure out where they are. I need to figure out where I'm going to get all my dirt this year. I need like four cubic yards of, of garden soil, container soil. I don't know where I'm going to get that much. I don't want to buy like 50 bags. I guess I could buy a pallet of bags. Uh, but I think I can just get like two, two yards of compost, two yards of, uh, I guess, peat moss <laughs> and then get a bunch of vermiculite and make my own. I don't know. I don't know. I got to figure that out. So that's something I'll do tomorrow. Might actually build the hoop houses and stake them in, but at least I'll open the box and look at the instructions. So yeah, hopefully maybe tomorrow we'll do all that stuff. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, other than that, life in Chatham, Chatham County is going great. I've become really obsessed with memorizing my countries. Uh, every morning I do these country flashcards for Europe and Africa and Asia and the Caribbean. That one's really hard. Uh, and South America, because I was having a lot of trouble with the Guyana, Cernium, French Guyana part. And uh, I was having a lot of trouble with Guatemala and Honduras. So I've been doing Central America. I've got them all down. Every morning I go through them all. Jane's been doing the same thing with states. She knows where all the states are now. Um, I think I'm going to start her on countries soon. 
Uh, I bought her a globe. She's been looking at the globe. We've been watching the Olympics, and I point to the globe where China is and where you know Beijing is, and different athletes are coming from playing. Like, there's the Netherlands, there's Switzerland, and I'm not sure where these places are. Uh, she's making some progress there. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, but the Olympics, really into them, really into country memorization. Uh, my HOA treasurer duties for the year are done. Everybody paid their dues. Thank you, Valley Meadow neighbors. I don't think any of them listen to the podcast. Actually, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one or two. But uh, everybody's paid up, so that's very exciting. I have done my job for the year, my good deed. Um, let's see. I gave a bunch of money to the Democratic Association of Secretaries of State. Uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, James Carville's been, been pointing out that the Republicans have been outraising us three to one at the st- Secretary of State level. So I consider giving some money there. Uh, yeah, you know, things are going well. I'm happy. Work is good. Uh, health is good. I'm still on my Govi. I'm still on my diet. I'm 23 pounds down. It's very, it's slowed way down. I'm lucky to lose a pound a week now, but that's fine. That's all I need. Um, yeah, I'll be a pound pound this week, and then it has been a pound this week, and then you know, as long as I lose a pound a week, I'm good. Uh, you know, five more months of dieting, <laughs> about twenty months, five times four, yeah, twenty and twenty more pounds. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd be down forty pounds. Uh, you know, maybe six, maybe six. I have ooh, four, five, six more weeks of the zero point two five milligrams of Wagovi. And then I did find I got my prescription filled for two months. Uh, the next one up, 0.5 milligrams. You're supposed to go up every month. My doctor originally prescribed me three months at the same. And I, it's definitely like, I wouldn't say it's wearing off, like, but it's not as strong. It's hard to explain. I mean, it's definitely reduced, still reduces my hunger. I eat a lot less. Uh, I have no problem fasting 16 hours a day. I do that every day. Uh, but I am like eating a little bit more each day and I don't get nauseous when I eat too much. Um, and you know, I mean the volume of too much is about half of what I ate normally before. So it's definitely improvement, but it's not as intense as it was. And I have a friend that's on this and he says, when you step up, it it kicks in a lot more again. And so I was debating, I mean, this stuff is so expensive. It's like, you know, I don't know, 1200 bucks a box or something for four weeks. And I was like, I could just step up to the 0.5 now, but there's supply shortages in it. And I am still losing weight and I would hate to waste this stuff because it costs an arm and a leg. So I am sticking it out. Um, try to keep buying in advance because the stuff is like really, really popular and it is uh, very hard to get. There's a lot of shortages. So I wrote to my doctor. I was like, yo, can you just bump me up to 0.5 now? I don't, you know, give me two months so I can take it took me months to get this stuff originally so i was like you know i'm I'm gonna need time to get this from the doctor i can't get it right when i'm finishing up and they wrote back and they're like your doctor quit (laughs) i was like shit i love that guy he was the best doctor i ever had he was awesome he treated you like a human being and he trusted you and he didn't get panicked and he but he didn't like you know he didn't indulge your panic but he didn't make you feel stupid he gave you what you needed he he, he was awesome and he was jane's doctor too and he's just gone they won't say why the woman that answered the email is like we'll refill this and she refilled it but you'll have to come in before you, if you get any, if you need anything else. And there's a third step up, there's a 0.75 and I plan on going to it for the last two months of this. So I guess I have to, I was like, well, cool. Can I get a new doctor? And they're like, we don't have any. And I'm like, so I have to come in, but you can't, you don't have a doc. I don't know. It's all fucked up. It's such a bummer. And I don't know what happened to him. I mean, everybody's like, Google it. It maybe went somewhere else. And I've been doing that and he hasn't showed up anywhere. He's not on Twitter. Emma's got a cell phone number from when Jane was born. You know, doctors are always like really good about babies. And they're like, text me if you need anything. But I feel weird texting him. So I don't know. He's just gone. It's really, really sad. I miss him already. Still not smoking. I mean, I haven't smoked in 10 years. Still no nicotine. Uh, I was on these, still using these mints to get off of it. But I've also, Emma was like, you should try gum because the gum, you know, uh, you're not swallowing it and you're just swallowing so much of this weird chalky stuff. And I was like, that's true. And she's like, and the xylitol gives you weird, like indigestion issues. You could just go for normal gum. And I'm like, all right. So I tried the gum. The flavors aren't as good. I don't know. I, I think this might be why my mom chews ice. I always kind of made fun of her for choosing, ice, chewing ice, but I think I get it. I have like this massive oral fixation. I always have my whole life. Um, you know, making out solves the problem, but that's not something you can do all the time. Uh, smoking was great, but that was bad. So it's like gum or mints, you know, eating, but I don't want to eat all the time. I'm always drinking like carbonated fizzy waters these days. And that's pretty harmless. You're peeing all the time. At least you're staying hydrated. Man, do I stay hydrated? 
But I don't know. I just need like something. And I'm like, wow, this is why my mom chews an ice I bet. So, hey, I figured that out. I apologize for ever judging you for your ice chewing, mom. If you're listening, can't remember if she listens all the time or just once in a while. Uh, anyway, that's what's going on here in Chatham County. Jane is very, very good. She's doing great. She's really trying to be nicer. She's trying to say yes more. She's fitter, happier, more productive, like the Radiohead song. Uh, she still throws some fits, but she really tries not to. Uh, She's trying to communicate more. She's writing. She's, I mean, it's crazy. She handwrites words. Uh, she she texts people. She, <laughs> she's four years old. She reads fully. She's been drawing. Her drawings have gotten beyond kitties now. The last drawing was just amazing. It was a kitty and a bird and a tree and another bird. And it was just, I mean, it had like artistic flair. It was just phenomenal. I showed some artist friends. And, you know, I'm trying to not be like, oh, she's a prodigy. Because I don't know. She's like, I see no other kids. And you know, like, I don't know, but, uh, I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm most impressed with her efforts at self-control. I gotta say she's still, you know, she's not amazing at everything. She's still pooping in her diaper. I can't get her to use a potty to poop. She pees on the potty. No problem. But pooping is a whole thing. And she's, you know, four that should really be done by now. A lot of people just foist it off on the daycare, but she doesn't go to daycare because she's not vaccinated. So we can't foist that off. But, uh, yeah, she's cool, man. I like my daughter. She's been walking more on the walk. She's really into running now. For the longest time she ran, she had this, like, little skip run, and it was super cute, but it was a skip. You know what I mean? <laughs> but now she runs, and, like, we go on our walk, and she runs, and I'm like, and it looks like running. And I mean, she's like a little kid in those ads that runs really fast. She's like, Ooh. It's awesome. It's awesome. They're outside playing right now in her sweet fortress thing. And, uh, yeah, Jane's doing well. Uh, I said work as well. I don't really want to talk about work. I had a great week, though. Last two weeks of work have been really great. I have enjoyed them immensely. Things are going great. It's exciting. Ah, projects. I've been trying to get off of Spotify for three weeks. It is a total nightmare. Um, I've written extensively about my op objections to Joe Rogan, Rogan, Rogan and Spotify and all of that. Ooh, we're making progress. We're making progress. Um, so, you know, I'm going to get off Spotify. And for me, this has a lot of complexities, right? First and foremost, every day I write a daily email to a bunch of my friends. And at the end, there's a playlist. So, you know, I had to kind of like ask my friends if they were cool with me switching because it's going to affect them all. They get its email with a playlist every day. And a lot of them were like, yeah, you should switch. Fuck Joe Rogan, you know? And, um, and Apple music's pretty clear winners, second place for these people, you know, and that's good. Um, you know, like, I don't want to rant and rave about Joe Rogan the whole time, but like, oh, there's some people out there that do like, uh, moral equivalency stuff, right? Like, uh, well, Joe Rogan sucks, but Apple has the Steve Bannon podcast. And I'm like, okay, yes, but Apple doesn't give Steve Bannon a hundred million dollars. Apple just has an open platform that anybody can use. And yes, I believe they should kick him off of it, but these are two very different things. My money goes to Spotify and Spotify's money goes to Joe Rogan. My money goes to Apple. Apple's money does not go to Steve Bannon It's different. Secondly, I am stuck with Apple already. I am recording this on an Apple computer. I use an Apple phone. I have Apple speakers throughout my house and the devices hooked up to my television. And as much as I personally have some serious beasts with Apple, because I think they're trying to put my company out of business unjustly and immorally, um, I still believe them to be the least evil of the tech companies. So... It's kind of moot because I already use them and I already pay them thousands of dollars a year to buy these, these devices from them. So even if they were as bad as Joe Rogan and Spotify, I would be doing less moral harm by giving one company the money instead of two. So that argument doesn't wash on several levels to me. So, and also I already pay for Apple music. I already pay for the like Apple streaming family thing for the whole family. So it's free for me. So that's also like a huge differentiator. People have also suggested Tidal, but I'm not a huge fan of uh, Square and Jack Dorsey. I guess I don't hugely object to them, but, you know, not not my thing, generally speaking. Uh, so Apple it is. But so then that introduces a ton of complications for me because Apple is Apple Music kind of sucks as a product on the Mac. Uh, it's not as bad on the phone, but it's still pretty bad for me because it is spiritually two apps in one. It is an app 
a streaming app like Spotify, and it is a file management app for people like me that have a lot of digital audio files. And I do. I have over 100,000 digital audio files on my computer. I have been meticulously curating my iTunes library for over a decade. Every CD I've ever owned is ripped in there. I still rip CDs into it weekly. As you know, everything I sell from Discogs, I rip into there. It's a huge part of my life. Um, so I kind of thought and hoped that I could use Apple's streaming stuff and Apple as my file manager in one version of the app, and I cannot. They have a requirement to sync your playlist. This is something Spotify does automatically. If you make a playlist on your phone, it shows up on your computer and your other phone. Uh, Apple Music does not. You have to turn that option on. And to turn that option on, you have to turn another option on called Sync Your Library. And the, the dialogue box in Sync Your Library is written in kind of a, uh, a vague way. It's, or the, the, the message, it said, show all the music you've added, purchased, and uploaded. The music on this computer will appear on other devices after syncing the cloud. That's what it says when you click Sync Library. When you try to sync your playlists, it says you need to turn on Sync Library in order to sync your playlist. So I was like, okay, I do need to sync my playlist, but I don't want to sync my entire iTunes music library. Chiefly because Apple doesn't let you sync a library larger than 100,000 songs. They just don't. It's bullshit. Secondly, that you can't control what goes to the, the cloud. So the first weekend I had to, I was like, okay, well, I got to turn this button on. So I turned it on and then I had to wait two days because it tried to sync my entire iTunes library to the cloud. I realized this is a horrible mistake and it wasn't going to work. So then I spent the next weekend deleting all of the stuff that was up in my iTunes library. I, to do that, I had to make a new iTunes library that was blank and then turn off the button and then delete all the playlists and then do that on both phones. And I think now that's done. I have experimented already with a, a piece of software called SongShift that will copy my Spotify playlists to iTunes. And that's, that software works really well. I strongly recommend it. There's another one called Free Your Music. They both work pretty well. You gotta fix a few matches that will take an hour or two, but it looks like I should be able to do that part, no problem. Once I have successfully gotten my iCloud library completely erased which there's no way to tell if you've done it. it all the support docs, you're like, delete everything out of your library and it'll erase. And I'm like, okay, I did that on my computer because they say to do it on your computer. And I look at my phone and nothing erased. I did it on my phone and then for five days, that phone just said syncing library with a swirling progress beach ball. But it looks like it may have worked. Uh, so maybe tomorrow I can try this a third time and a third weekend and I can finally get my iTunes switched. It is taking an extraordinary amount of time to get my Spotify off of Spotify, but maybe I can do it this weekend. I bet it won't be done until next weekend, but that has been a huge project for me. It's taken a ton of time, as you can tell by how long I just talked about it. Uh, gardening, like I said, I'm not going to start for another couple of weeks, so that is good. I did get my hoop houses in the mail, and I got three different coverings for them. I got like a summer covering that's like netting that'll keep the squirrels and the deer out of them, but we'll let the bees in. I got a shade cloth for the hot summer weeks and I got some like greenhouse material for the winter to extend the season in the winter. My lettuce was going great into December and then it got snowed on and ruined. And if I did not let it get snowed on, I would still be eating lettuce from the garden right now. And so I'm bummed about that. So and spinach and, and Asian chives and all the stuff I was still growing was still growing. And I, so next year I won't let that happen. Um, it's weird though, because for several months now, I guess two months, I haven't had any gardening since mid-December when the snow started hitting. I haven't had any gardening and I don't like it. My weekends feel like I don't have anything to do and it makes me feel like a schlub. I'm like, I have no projects. So I've been really trying to find projects left and right, like this iTunes thing to fill up time that was taken by gardening. So I'm excited to start again, get my tomato seeds planted, get things going. Uh, next weekend, I might take a day off and not really go for a three-day weekend, but soon, soon, soon. Uh, and then the big other thing is that the Good Morning, Hello, How Are You book is done. Uh, Emma designed a cover. Thank you for everyone's input on the cover. We sent off the first proof. It came back on Tuesday. Emma had some changes she didn't like to the cover. But the big thing was I did not like the text size. I thought it was too small. <clears throat> the book itself is huge. And I was like, I can't get any longer and thicker of a book, but I want this text to be bigger. So I reflowed the whole book making the text one point bigger by slightly tightening up the letting and slightly expanding the margins. And I had to reflow all of my kerning and tracking adjustments for widows and orphans and hyphenation. And it took three days and it was really rough, but it's done. The second proof is out to them. I ordered the express service. So it should be back by like Tuesday or Wednesday. 
If that goes well, I will set up, I might do this tomorrow. Oh God, I have so much to do. I will set up the store on, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do that tomorrow, uh, on my Squarespace page and start accepting pre-orders for the book. So that is exciting. Um, yeah, this book is almost done, man. It's thrilling. It's thrilling. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm still writing another good morning. Hello. How are you book right now? I guess so that's volume two, I guess this pandemic's not over. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I've been working on a family. So I had this epiphany. Um, I've been reading, I was kind of caught up in all the books I wanted to read. And I was like, I need to read a book. And I went over and looked at my shelf and I found this book that my mom had sent me. There was a book, a biography of my grandparents, best friends who also lived in Wasilla in the 1930s. And, uh, I was like, okay, you know what? It's time to read all these books. The family's been sending me history of family members, history of like Alaska. So I read that one. And, you know, I remember the Carters, uh, Pat Carter and May Carter when I was a kid. And, uh, my mom, you know, obviously was friends with them and their kids. And, <clears throat> and then my uncle wrote, has a sent about two or three years ago, he sent me a draft of the book he was writing about my grandparents, my mom's parents, his parents. And he had a note and, you know, he's like 80 and he was like, thank you so much for offering to help with this. And I did offer and, you know, like. I'm mostly done, but as you can see, it's a little thin in the fifties and sixties. So I'm hoping that I, sometime I can sit down with your mom and Bonnie, their sister and interview them and have them fill out the fifties and sixties. And so I read this book. I'm not quite done, but I'm reading this history of my grandparents and it's awesome. And I love it. My great grandmother was mother of the year in North Dakota in 1953. One of my grandma's sister or brothers played baseball with the Capone family, Al Capone and his brother. And you know, it's just cool stuff all around. I found out that my mom was probably conceived the Nashville, North Carolina, which is a thing I had no idea about. Um, and, you know, so I'm reading it all. And I'm like, last year, my mom and Bonnie went and stayed for a month with him in Wisconsin. And I was like, I hope those interviews happen, you know? So I talked to my mom last night. She's like, no, we didn't get around to it. I'm like, ugh. Because if the interviews happened, I was like, I'm just offer. I was like, send me everything and I will finish this book for you because you have 85% of a book here. And uh, But that didn't happen. So I will finish this book. I will email skip. I hope he's still like, you know, into it. And then I guess I will go or I'll arrange for my sister to sit my mom and aunt down and record audio of the two of them talking to a list of questions that I will send. And then maybe I can help him finish this book. Uh, but I really want to finish it. My other uncle, my dad's brother has written a book about my dad's dad and I've owned this book for 10 years and I flipped through it and looked at stuff, but I never read it cover to cover. So that is the next one I will read after this. So I'm just reading all these family books and I had this epiphany that I'm going to take all that and I'm going to make it easier for Jane. And just at the end of the book, I'm already writing her. Every month, recall, on her birthday, I write her a letter, and then when she turns 18 or 20 or something, I will give her this book, and it will be letters from me to her for her whole life. It's going to be, we're both going to cry so much. Uh, but at the end, I, because I figure she's never going to throw that book away, unless I turn out to be a complete dick of a parent, right? I will write a history of her family. So she all has it in one place. And uh, because, you know, we when we're young, we don't really care. We just want to know it's there. And maybe we'll refer to it once or twice. But as you get older, you want this. And when you, But as you get older, like all the all the material is gone. People are dying. Right. And uh, so I want to put it all like at the end of the book for her. So she has what she needs and points her to certain other, you know, historical documents or whatever. And it's just there. It's just one book along with the letters that she carries around. And so she has. Um, so I'm doing my, both my sides of my family. One side of Emma's family, her dad's side is meticulously well-documented because it's the Wells family of Connecticut, including Gideon Wells, Abraham Lincoln, secretary of the Navy and, you know, Sumner Wells, <laughs> very well-documented, but her mom's side of the family is far less documented. They are like Quebecois and it's unclear when they came and Janet doesn't know a whole lot and she's got sisters and you know, like I need to get that information out of her and her brother, I think would know the most cause he's the oldest. And so we we're working on that part too, but then I will get all this and just put it into the end of this book for Jane. I'm not going to like become like a genealogy freak or anything. I'm just like, I want it all there for her because I think as we get older, we want it and we think about it more and then it's too late. So trying to do that favor for her. So those are the projects I'm working on. That's what's going on in Chapel Hill, North Carolina in Chatham County. And, uh, we'll talk about the media now. Added some stuff to Plex, added the 2018 version of Papillon. I got it off of Netflix in Blu-ray form, and I don't know why. I don't remember if there's somebody in it I like or somebody that I like wrote it or directed it. I have no idea why. I don't know. But it's up there now. I'll, maybe I'll watch it this weekend. Uh, I just put, I'm putting right now Ghostbusters Afterlife up there about the 4K Blu-ray. It's ripping in the other room. That should be up there by tomorrow. I put three Vim Vendors films. I'm trying to get all the Vim Vendors films up there. I had most of them, but there's some early ones and some late ones I don't have. So I put those uh, biopic of 
Pope Francis. It's not a biopic. It's a documentary called Pope Francis, a man of the word. Uh, he has a two film, a film I'd never seen or heard of called everything will be fine. And so I put that up there. And then in one of his older films, the American friend that I saw at the brattle in Boston in Cambridge, like, I don't know, 30 years ago, but, uh, with Annie and I really like that. So that's up there. Um, if you care about Vim vendors, those are up there. Discogs. I sold a bunch. Uh, I, one thing I've been doing is I've been going through all my vinyl because I, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve, about twenty crates of vinyl, plus the box sets and the seven inches, and you know, twenty record box bins of vinyl, and they're getting full. And uh, I don't want to add another one because I'm running out of shelf space. So I've been going through, and I've been accidentally buying doubles of things through the years. <laughs> So I went through it from A to G and I pulled out about 15 doubles. <laughs> oh, just ridiculous. Uh, and so I'm selling them and it's, vinyl sells so much faster than CDs, which is nice. And they go for good money. So I've sold the Dead Can Dance vinyl, Serpent's Egg. I've sold the Mac DeMarco vinyl, Salad Days. I sold an Angel Olsen vinyl, All Mirrors. I actually had three copies of that one for some reason. And uh, first edition pressing of The Suburbs by Arcade Fire, because apparently I bought it twice the week it came out. So I sold all those on vinyl. Uh, I got about 10 more up there. That, And then I got to go through the rest of the vinyl to pull out uh, other doubles. I just, it's ridiculous. But it's really freeing up a lot of room. It's nice. Uh, and then I sold on CD, Love and Rockets, Sweet F.A. It's a great record. It has a picture of a burnt guitar on the cover, because that is the album they were recording at Rick Rubin's studio when there was a fire and Rick Rubin's studio burned down and Genesis P. Orridge of Throbbing Gristle and Psychic TV was visiting Love and Rockets in the studio and he was injured by jumping out of the window and he sued Rick Rubin and made like a million dollars and blew it all on, well, he spent it all on uh, cosmetic surgery. So uh, it's all detailed in his uh, autobiography, non-binary. I had heard about it at the time and I knew that like 11 rockets lost all their gear on it. It's a great record. I have talked about it before, I believe, but anyway, I sold my CD copy. I already own it on vinyl. Uh, I sold a copy of Another Green World by Brian Eno. Also own that on vinyl already. I sold Orbital's second album, Orbital 2. Do not own that on vinyl. Not going to try and buy all the Orbital records on vinyl. I really like Orbital. Ooh, as those words are coming out of my, my mouth, I felt regret. Marie Kondo kicked in, and I feel regret at departing with that Orbital album. I may actually purchase it on vinyl if I can find a cheap copy. Uh, and a David Geffen, a DGC Records uh, compilation called DGC Rarities. That is one of those compilations that has like a exclusive, previously exclusive, exclusive Nirvana track on it, which is why I kept it all these years. But all those exclusive tracks have appeared on the various 20th and 30th or 25th and 30th anniversary pressings of Nevermind and stuff like that. So I have those on vinyl. So don't need that CD anymore. I think it's the one with hate, I hate myself and I want to die. I forgot to look. Uh, vinyl, a bunch of vinyl came in the mail. Uh, I got a mass record, Labor of Love. Mass, of course, is the band that uh, Mark Cox and Michael Allen were in before the Wolfgang Press on 480 Records. Uh, this was an autographed copy, weirdly, crazily enough, and in mint condition, first edition, that was selling on eBay or on Discog. So I picked that up. Very exciting. Uh, very cheap copy of Test Department's first, second album, Beating the Retreat. I love Test Department. I'm uh, missing a couple of their early albums on vinyl, so I've been trying to get them all. That was like eight bucks. So that was cool. Uh, this one was like three dollars, but it's a great story. So I'm trying to finish out my ultra vivid scene discography, and I made a mistake. I there's a 12 inch single by Ultra Vivid Scene called Staring at the Sun. The B side is three stars. The 12 inch is designed by Von Oliver, my favorite designer. And each side of the 12 inch, and I knew this and I forgot it. Each side of the 12 inch is designed as if it's the front cover. So one side of it says Ultra Vivid Scene Staring at the Sun. If you flip it over, the other one says Ultra Vivid Scene Three Stars. Uh, so I was going through my Ultra Vivid Scene records, I don't know, nine months ago. And I was like, okay, well, I have the three stars, 12 inch, and I'm looking at Discogs, and I'm like, okay, I don't have that staring at the sun 12 inch, which I had because it was the same one. I just had the wrong side facing forward, right? So I clicked on the want list, and I was like, okay, I want that. And then last week, so nine months later, a copy comes up for sale for like two bucks. I'm like, yeah, I want that. So I buy it, and it arrives, and it's in great condition, but even okay so you know i realized i already actually owned it but it doesn't matter because what happened was this one a came with a 480 press kit for ultra vivid scene which is awesome i love 480 press kits i'm like a collector of them which is weird but i have like five of them now but even more excitingly is that the press kit 
was signed by the 480 rep and it came had a note in it from that rep to the DJ or radio guy or whoever would got this promo version of this 12 inch back in the day. It's not a promo version, but it was sent out as a promo copy. And that letter was from a woman named Vicky that I was friends with, really good friends with in the 90s. She worked for 480 in like 1992 and we became really good friends in like 1998 or 1990, eh, earlier than that, like 1995, four or five. Yeah, not long after that. And um, we used to IM all the time, like when I worked at Profit Sound with Jill and she worked for Autotonic. She was one of the owners of Autotonic, which is a radio PR per company. And, uh, but this letter was like written by my friend. Right. And it was written from before I even knew her. So, I mean, I got it and I was like, this has to be Vicky, Vicky. I even recognized her handwriting, but I took a picture of the letter and I texted her. I was like, this is you, right? She's like, yes. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, it's been like 28 years since she wrote that letter. It was really awesome. It made me, it made me really happy and I'm very happy to own it now. So it made me so psyched. I accidentally bought a copy of a record I already owned. That was great. Uh, I got the new Mitski on vinyl, Laurel Hell. Been listening to it a ton. I love it. Especially love Love Me More. It's a great song. Strong recommend. Uh, I got a picture disc version of the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack from Walmart yesterday. <laughs> I'm counting on that appreciating a value somehow. Uh, Loretta Lynn, Back to the Country. That was the Vinyl Me Please record of the month for me. That just came yesterday. I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, just hour or two ago i got a sonic youth record the last edition of the three lobed records record club i've been in for all of 2021 it's called in out in it is their performance at a jazz festival i think montreux just finished listening to it it's fucking awesome uh strong recommend the new sonic youth in out in it's obviously not new they're broken up but it's the new record uh one track of it is on spotify i haven't listened to that track to see which one it is yet but uh the vinyl's awesome very excited and then i got my microphones box set in the mail (laughs) <laughs> the thing is amazing i i had gotten a check in the mail and i was feeling flush with cash like a month ago and i was sitting i remember this vividly i was sitting upstairs watching jane at night and i looked at my phone i got an email i was like there's a new microphones box that it's 250 dollars or some absurd amount of money and it has everything it's this and this and this and this and i was just like do it with me before just don't think about it just do it and so i clicked on it and it was like a very well-made site with shopify and like apple pay so like within two seconds i had bought the thing right and apparently good job because i think sold out immediately uh, they only made like 250 copies or 300 copies or something. And so it just arrived and it's just magnificent. It is probably the finest box that I've ever seen. It's 10 pieces of vinyl, but it also has a download card for like, I don't know, 18 hours of music. Every piece of music they've ever made, including every stem available for every song he's got stems for 55 unreleased live tracks, an additional whole live concert, all the music from the early cassettes and singles and B-sides. I've been listening to it for weeks. <laughs> That's not true, but days. Um, I like the microphones. I own several microphones records. I've listened to several microphone records, but these are the ones I hadn't heard before. Early tapes, 1996 to 1998. Don't wake me up. Song Island. I had already heard Mount Erie, but I hadn't heard the drums from Mount Erie. Early tapes. I already said that one. A few live recordings, 1999 to 2003. The Foghorn tape, which is just a tape of the Foghorn sound from the background. Fantastic. The Glow Part 2 and other songs, other songs and destroyed versions. And The Little Bird Flies into a Big Black Cloud. Those are the ones I've listened to. I'm not even done listening to all the downloads yet. So it's just awesome. I love the microphones. I love Phil Laverna. I it's just makes me so happy. It was a great purchase. And uh yeah, thrilled, thrilled to have it. Other albums I listened to in the last two weeks, Unbunny, Sensory Underload, Uncertain Tracks, 1996 to 2008. Unbunny is the project of a guy named Jared Del Rio. He used to live in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, when I used to go up there to see Vicky actually and Lisa Carver, the editor of my new book. I've stayed in touch with both of them. Uh, and this guy, Ian Fitzpatrick, who I also stayed in touch with. We are all friends and they were all friends with this guy, Jared in Unbunny. I only met him like once, but I loved Unbunny. I thought they were a great band. Apparently he moved out to Seattle. I lost touch with them, but, uh, I thought I had all the Unbunny albums, but it turned out there was one last album and this, uh, compilation of unreleased stuff that I had not listened to. And I mentioned him last week, last episode, cause I listened to the album, but this time I listened to the unreleased un- sensory, un- un- oh, God, I can't even say it. Sensory underload, uncertain tracks, 1996. 2008 which is not a great hit it's more like an unreleased kind of thing uh amusement parks on fire I used to love this band really good shoegaze rocking band and um so i'm at south by just was obsessed with them around 1999 maybe 2000 2001 and eh, probably more like 2003 four uh but i got into them again this week and then i checked in and they had a new album from last year and i hadn't heard it it's called anarchia 
And it was great, more mellow, less distortion, but I still really liked it. Mo, the Scandinavian singer-songwriter lady, pop artist, uh, has a new album called Motordrome that I really enjoyed. And, you know, it's it's like a Robin-esque pop woman singer thing. That it's really great, Cynthia. Dival Strain. I don't know anything about this band. They did like a KEXP or something. I think it was KEXP. And I, they're so goth. They were awesome. It's these two super goth ladies playing guitar and bass, the drum machine, and they're wearing like goth face makeup. They just ruled. And so I listened to their album, Elegia del Ovido, Elegia del Hor. And it's awesome. Dive all strain if you're a goth. <laughs> Fantastic record. I listened to the latest Lionel Richie album, Renaissance. There's a transition for you. Uh, and I listened to the last Whitney album. Or no, I listened to the, the hits album, Whitney by Whitney, because I never actually listened to it all the way through. <laughs> they were both great, as you, I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, I found out Sam Rosenthal from Black Tape for a Blue Girl and the founder of Project Records, the seminal goth label that like, used to advertise in the back of Rolling Stone when I was a child. Uh, and got me, you know, and I was into all that stuff. Lycia, Love Lies Crushing, all that stuff. His band was Black Tape for a Blue Girl. We are Facebook friends. And he mentioned that he has a space rock band called As Lonely as David Bowman. As Lonely as Dave Bowman. And I never, I didn't know about this band. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I listened to their album Monolith and it was right on my alley. It's like space drone. And I was just so happy with it. And I didn't know he was doing this. And hats off to Sam Rosenthal for that great record. Uh, Broken Social Scene has a new unreleased tracks album called, or B-Sides. It's called Old Dead Young B-Sides and Rarities. I listened to that. It's awesome it's about half mellow one quarter drone and one quarter rock and i loved it uh i listened to the new anna east mitchell album we have talked about anna east mitchell a couple times on this podcast thanks to my friend conrad she has a new album self-titled it's called anna east mitchell and i loved it it was great singer songwriter some you know loom uh, famous guests vocal or guest appearances but mainly her and just beautiful gorgeous record uh there's a band called palace which is separate from palace uh little oldham's palace there's another band called palace and they have a great record called shoals i had heard them before i think i like years ago made the mistake between the two palaces and i realized i like this other palace so i listened to their album and it's awesome it is um I don't know how to describe it. It's good. Kind of dramatic. Not like post-Rocky dramatic. Maybe in the like Foles vein or something like that. Or uh, Chick Chick Chick-ish. Or something like that. You know? It's good. Uh, Dream Academy's first album, Dream Academy. I never listened to the whole thing, so I just gave that a listen. And I enjoyed it. Uh, start a few other tracks besides the two singles, Life in a Northern Town and The Love Parade. There's like two other really mellow ones I really liked on there. I was going to start listening to their whole discography, but then I got distracted by Chumbawamba and decided I needed to know if Chumbawamba was any good. So I listened to two of their early albums because I always knew, you know, they got the hit, right? I get knocked down, I get up again, you're never going to bring me down. Which, let's face it, it's a great song. But I've always known that Chumbawamba were anarchists that came out of the crass record scene. And I kind of assumed that because of that, their early stuff was probably cool punk shit that sounded like crass. But in fact, that's not the case. I listened to their first couple albums, uh, including Pictures of Starving Children Sell Records and the album Anarchy. And they're great albums, but they sound more like Chumbawamba than uh, crass, which I guess is not surprising. But, you know, they have like a lot of harmonies and sophisticated pop structures and things. Uh, which I was not expecting and they're fine. They're fine. But I was like hoping I found like a second crass and I've been meaning to check this out for a while. But Oh, well, uh, new Mitski album, as we mentioned, I really enjoy it. Uh, Kathy Heideman. Oh yeah. So this is like a seventies country thing that somebody's re-releasing. I don't remember who maybe. Hmm. I don't remember. Anyway, it's great. It's a country album made in the seventies. Kathy Heideman made with move with love. Uh, somebody is releasing it, maybe light in the attic records, but, uh, I had never heard of her and I listened to the album and I loved it. And so props on them for re-releasing that Delphine Dora. The album is called you Damon. I am the moonlight on the cottage with no roof. Whoa, that's my daughter. I guess she's back inside. And I listened to another Delphine Dora album called Lini Uh, she's gothy. She's weird. She kind of reminds me a little bit of Diamanda Galas, which is kind of funny. Delphine and Diamanda. I really liked it. If you're into goth female vocal things, Delphine Dora. She's great. Kate LeBon, uh, Pompeii is the name of the album. I love it. It's weird. It kind of reminds me of a mix of Orbital's FFRR album and Lida Husik. 
maybe a little Beth Orton in there. It's got really interesting production, very like surprising, weird song structures and variety of songs. It's mostly electronic, but not completely. Beth Orton or Lido Husik would be the closest analogs, but it's a little bit more quirky than both of those. It's just great. It was a great record. Uh, and then I listened to a Catterwall album. It was a rock band from Arizona. I've owned this Catterwall CD for like 40 years. I bought it in high school. And I bought it because this girl I knew really liked Catterwall. And I like had a little bit of a crush on her. So I was like, oh, I will learn about this band. I got this Catterwall CD. And it was like hard to get because I lived in Fairbanks, Alaska. I really wanted it because it was produced by uh, Kevin Key from Skinny Puppy. I think one of the guys from Skinny Puppy. Um, but when I got the CD, it was broken and it was like damaged somehow. It didn't play. It was unplayable. And I kept it forever. I still have it, but I have never listened to it. And then the other day I was like, I've never even heard this fucking band. Like I still carry this CD around. So I was like, I'm going to listen to them. So I finally listened to Port and Hugh, the album that I've been carrying around my Catterwall for 35 years. And it's pretty good. I mean, you know, I think in 1987 when this girl liked him, it would have been way more impressive than now because I listened to a lot more music, but uh, it's cool. It's cool. Uh, it's not as skinny. It's not like skinny puppy at all. It's like kind of rocking and maybe like a hunters and gatherers kind of thing. Like weird, quirky eighties rock. You know what I mean? Very well produced. And the production is interesting. So Kevin key was probably a good like selection for producer. I'm probably the only person who's talked about Catterwall in the last 10 years, <laughs> but it's good. I recommend it. It's on Spotify. TV, we, uh, let's see, Star Trek Discovery was on break. It's back, but we haven't been watching it because we've been watching the Olympics. Same with Rick and Morty. We have not finished that because we're watching the Olympics. I did finish the Book of Boba Fett the other day. The last two episodes really delivered for me. I was very, very satisfied. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't watched it. Uh, it. It was very spotty at the beginning and the had severe pacing issues for the first three or four episodes. But I think they finished really well when they abandoned the like flashback Uh structure of the first few episodes and there's just been some wonderful surprises if you're a star wars nerd people from the animated series making live action appearances some beloved old favorites just it really had everything <laughs> so i was very happy with it in the end there's some cheesy shit like the mods are a problem but i just ignore them uh still watching peacemaker which is a good time I did not think I was going to like it at all, but it turned out to be unexpectedly rewarding and sort of a trauma kind of uh, absurdist sci-fi horror Mars attacks kind of way, which I am enjoying. Uh, SNL has been on hiatus for the Olympics. Uh, Cheer. We watched the second season of Cheer, which I thought was marvelous. It's not getting near as much attention as the first season, probably because it's a lot more fucking dark. <laughs> that team went through a lot in that season I don't, season's a weird word because it's the second season of the show but it covers of course because of the pandemic more than one year of their academic life so seasons you know seasons uh but it was intense uh i get why it's not as popular but it is worth if you love the first one you should definitely watch the second one it's it's better if you ask me uh and then we watched that weird series the women in the house across the street from the girl in the window which stars uh Kristen bell and it's produced by her and will ferrell and it's kind of a spin-off of like those women on the train gone girl kind of movies and it's a very good it's weird it's totally very strange but it's good uh it is like a comedy but not funny you know the type and you're like what's going on here but occasionally it gets really funny but most of the time it's not and like it actually has a genuine mystery and you're actually kind of wondering who works and it works also succeeds at scaring you sometimes it's it's uh, you can watch it in two nights medium recommend uh and then we watched the film nobody which i hadn't got around to seeing yet and we finally watched it and i thought it was great the plot had some issues <laughs> But I don't mind. Uh, they could fix that in a sequel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was great. Kind of a very John Wickian kind of thing, uh, obviously. I am. But, uh, you know, uh, my wife loves Brian Cranston. Uh, you know, she worked on Better Call Saul and he got a start in the X-Files and she loves the X-Files. And so, you know, she's she's all in on him. So we could agree on watching it. And it was awesome. It was a good time. Uh, books. I read the History of Man Ray book that came out on Kickstarter, and uh, it's an oral history of the club Man Ray, the goth club in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that I used to live next door to, that I went to between 1990 and its closing uh, in like 2007 or something like that. I went there for like more than well, well over a decade of my life. It's called We Are But Your Children, an oral history of the club Man Ray by Sean Driscoll. I was interviewed for it. I'm only in there like two or three times, but uh 
it's, it's, you know, my chief takeaway from that book is that Man Ray was so many different scenes at once. And that's one of the reasons that that club really succeeded. There was the, you know, the fetish scene, the goth scene, the industrial scene, the multiple different gay scenes, uh, just amazing place, amazing place. There are rumors that Man Ray's coming back. I really hope it does. Um, yeah, it was a good book. It really took me down a trip down memory lane, man. Uh, yeah. And then I read, uh, <laughs> I was reading short books before that because I was waiting for it to come. And as soon as it came, I wanted to dive right into it. So before that, I read A Short History of Financial Euphoria by John Kenneth Galbraith, which is a book about bubbles. And uh, I think I talked about this a little bit last time, but it was mildly interesting. It's only like 150 pages and it's got like a decent overview of bubbles, but it doesn't really offer anything new. And if you already know stuff about tulip mania, tulip o mania, he calls it with an O in there and you know, the roaring twenties and stuff like that. It doesn't really offer a lot. It's not like a deep historical dive. It's like a, a man who is obviously high on the hog of being known for being smart, getting very large book advances for very lightweight books. There are occasionally insights of brilliance in there, but a lot of it is just sort of like, yeah, whatever, dude, we know. Uh, it did make me really want to read a book about tulip mania, but apparently there's not a lot of info about tulip mania because the history is just very, which is kind of ties into one of Galbraith's interesting theories about bubbles. Is he's like, after the bubble, nobody wants to talk about the bubble and they will never blame themselves. It's always somebody else's fault. So, like, you know, he ties in why there is so little history of tulip mania to that thesis. And I like that thesis. That's good. You know, it's not an inherently provable thesis, but it's a good kind of like heuristic for looking at it. So I enjoyed that. Uh, and then I started reading the Alaska books. Uh, Our Home is Wasilla by Dominic L. Carney. Pat and Mary Carney's son-in-law, I believe. Pat and May Carney's son-in-law, I believe. A little bit younger than my mom, I think. So I, I don't know if they knew each other or not. I knew my, I know my mom knew the Carneys. I don't know how well like the kids all like all knew each other. Uh, but Pat Carney was my grandfather's best friend. They came up to Alaska together, enrolled in the army, enli- enlisted in the army, and before World War II together in Alaska, that sort of thing. And since then, I've just been reading uh, Uncle Skip's biography of my grandma and grandpa, but we will get to that one and the one about my paternal grandfather, hopefully by next episode. That is about it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Drop a line. Let me know how you are doing. I hope it's great. I hope all is well as in your life. I hope you're handling this pandemic well. Let me know if you have questions about any of this content or if there's anything we could do to make your podcast better. Take care.